Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So welcome to the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Nick Carman. And today we've got a really, really special episode because I am live with around about 150 real estate professionals in what has got to be the coolest offices in town. Chris, would you agree? Easily. Easily, easily. So for those guys who aren't in the room with me now, we are currently in Uncommon's Liverpool uh, Street uh, address, and it's one of five properties that Uncommon owns and operates. And I'm joined by uh, Chris Davies, their CEO, uh, who's going to join me and tell me a little bit about the, his career and just and inspire so many of us because this story is incredible. So Chris, let's get started, shall we? How does chapter one begin? Um, so chapter one, I guess, is not really a property related thing. It probably starts quite young in the sense of always kind of interested in business things. Probably first venture was a chocolate fountain business that was a little bit, I, th I think it was just a way to go to parties actually. Um, but it, it worked out me age 17, I think, with a friend, um, managing to convince people that they needed us at their wedding and uh, charging them whatever figure we thought we could get away with at that time. Uh, so that, that, was, that was a lot of fun for a couple of years. A great background for a, uh, a, any property agent. Well, it, it was basically teaching me the structures of how layers and tiers work and how to fit things in a Ford Focus. That was, that was also key. Um, so, yeah, perfect background, perfect training. And so, but th that did lead then to a property career, didn't it? Tell us a bit about the, those earliest years in property. Yeah, so I, I, then, I then had, well, I had a sportswear company at university that then meant I didn't even attend lectures, which wasn't great. So that's probably not to go on the podcast from that point of view. Go to lectures, they're, they're helpful. And then eventually when that business was sold, I then had a little bit of money that I then could put forward into doing a real estate masters up in uh, Nottingham Trent. And uh, that was kind of my first kind of like bits of, right, how do I actually get a job in property? Um, I was not very, well, I went around all the big houses and they weren't very, they didn't really like me because I hadn't done an internship anywhere. So I was just like, well, I've been working on this sportswear company that didn't turn out like Gymshark. What do you, what do you need from me here? Um, but eventually, eventually managed to sneak into Cushman and Wakefield after a little bit of time at Landsec and um, got onto the grad scheme doing that. And what would you, how would you describe those, those first months or years at, uh, at Cushman's? Uh, the first, how comfortable were you in that, in that role? Well, the first, okay, so first of all, I thought I'd made it by walking through the door. I was like, right, this is, this is amazing. I'm now in London, I've got a job. I can, I've, I'm, I'm the big shot here. Um, then realized probably by about day five that I really wasn't. And I was the kind of sitting in the retail seat. The, the retail was the coolest team then. And your kind of industrial guys were over in the corner. And I don't think that's the way it is now. Um, but I definitely worked out within the first six months that, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm really not that important. And right, what, what I, I need to kind of fall back in love with this a little bit and work out what I really want to be and am. 
Um, the grad scheme was great for that because it meant that you could jump around and I kind of then did a bit of time in national office agency and loved that. Then started doing residential stuff and kind of the central London team. Um, and really just started to enjoy all of those pieces, but I kind of fundamentally worked out quite quickly that I was a pretty bad agent. Like I'm, I'm not very good at it. So that's really where I kind of was while sitting there trying to sort out my APC. But I was kind of just gradually learning a bit more about myself, I guess. So for anyone who, who doesn't know sort of Chris's background, you spend two years at Cushman's? Uh, three years, three years. Three years at Cushman's. And then, and then you make the decision, don't you, to step off that conveyor belt to, to so many in real estate, right? Sort of the, you know, from the, the Reading, the Oxford sort of Brooks sort of graduates, the idea is to get yourself in the door with the Jones Lang, the Seaburys, the Savills, the Cushmans, get qualified, and, it, and then you're on the conveyor belt, right? You're, work, you're working your nuts off to go up and up and up that ladder, but you chose to get off it. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm, again, a pretty bad investment from that point of view. I think I left the week after qualifying, so I, I wasn't the intended result in one sense, but I, I guess I knew that I wasn't... It didn't, it didn't, I guess, fulfill me in what I wanted to do. It didn't really give me the kind of wider business things that I thought I was good at. And I was also looking around going, there are a lot of other people that are a lot better than me here. Why would I want to try and compete on stuff that they're clearly much better at me about? Why don't I go and try and find something that I'll be better at? Um, and that's where I kind of thought, well, actually, a smaller company's what I've known before. Playing the big corporate game probably isn't for me. Um, and that was kind of a thought that went through my head. And then it was like, well, what do I want to do? And started looking for um, jobs in residential, trying to just get investment jobs that side, being client side, I guess. So tell us, tell us what that next move was then. So at that point, we jumped into what was a very, very small developer. We were trying to do anything from, well, really it was high-end residential, but that market turned fairly quickly. And I, I distinctly remember a conversation saying we should stop doing residential at that point when that's literally what I joined to do. So there was a, a moment of, well, that's a fairly stupid thing to say, but okay, well, what else are we going to do? And then that's where we kind of, there was a building up in Highbury that was there that had some planning issues at the time or had just been getting through those. And then it was a case of, well, look, that was being turned into, I guess, the precursor to what Uncommon is. And then it was just right, well, full steam ahead. Let's try and see whether this flex office thing that we've seen the people that are American, that I won't say who their names are, that have gone made a very large company worth of not very much. Um, they've, uh, so they were just, they were barely here at that point. You had people saying, well, actually, there must be a better way to do offices, and the demand was there. So it was at kind of that moment that we then. It was very much a case of, right, well, take off your cap and go walk around Mayfair and see if you can get some money. So let's just, let's just sort of unpack a little bit of that, because we, obviously everyone is sat in these amazing space. So for people who aren't necessarily so familiar with, with Uncommon, Uncommon is a flex operator who owns their buildings. You own five buildings now, and correct, pull me up on any of these, any of these numbers if these are, these are incorrect. So 250,000 square foot, a portfolio valued at £350 million, backed by one of the largest investors in Car Carlisle so, uh, up until this, uh, this point as well. And you as chief executive at age 33 when you got that title? Yep, I suppose. I mean, that's incredible, right, isn't it? 
So let's let's talk a little bit about sort of the how and the why about about that. So typically on the, on the pod, I get I get to interview founders and CEOs, and and I get to talk to them about what is it about about those guys? What makes them really special? And I think and it's probably something about they typically see opportunities that most people either don't see or think are just too risky. You're in that category. So in, when it comes to risk, and just for anyone who doesn't know Chris, Chris likes a, you like a, you like a, a risk, don't you? You're a serial um, uh, skydiver, Brazilian jiu-jitsu sort of fan. I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. um, are, are, are you and your sort of your peers, are you bigger risk takers or do you think you look at risk differently? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Do you look at risk differently? I mean, I, I, it just seems like an obvious thing at the time to do. Um, do you think, but to everyone else in this, in this room, how many other people think age 33 becoming a chief exec, how obvious does that seem? That's pretty rare, isn't it, right, guys? Yeah? That's rare. Yeah, but it was an obvious thing to do at the time, so why would you not? <laughs> Like, there's, there's risk in it, yeah, I guess, I like, and, and it's risk dealing with the people you've got to deal with, but then also that's the bit where you do the learning. I guess the thing for me, I've always tried to be, if I've, and I've, I've always tried to move if I've stopped learning. The reason I left Cushman's is because I probably was stopping learning. Whether that's, that's not their fault, that's my fault, because I wasn't lined up with it. Like, now, I, I will keep doing what I'm doing as long as I'm learning. And that's the only way to get better. And I kind of, whether, whether that's, but then you end up being harsh on yourself that you kind of sit there and judge it by increments of time and then say, have I got better in this time period? And if you feel the time, that you get too many no's and that's when I kind of think, well, something's got to change. All right. Right, guys, I, I want to open up the, the questions to the floor, right? I've been doing far too much sort of chattering. Um, hands up, who wants, who wants to ask Chris a question about either about his career or maybe in terms of if you want to get... Take his, uh, his view on anything that you're currently dealing with at the moment. What, what might he do in your, in your spot? Who wants to go first? Here we go. Pick on Will. I'll bring this over to you. Thank you. Um, my question is, um, there's a couple of bits into it, but um, is there a particular person uh, that you take inspiration from? And have you ever had a mentor? Um, I, think, I think there are lots of different people at for different things that I kind of go to. Um, I do different groups of things. So, I mean, this afternoon I had a chat with, um, there's a company called Vistage, that's like a CEO group. I've joined that and it's kind of just an interesting way of talking to people. And the guy that um, is kind of, I guess, my mentor on that is like former Lego CEO in Asia. And it's kind of like, you get a different, you get a good perspective from that. So I think to answer your question, there is, Lots of different people I go to for different things, but I think it's always helpful to have a springboard of, and it can be for, like it could be anything. It could be your uncle, whoever it might be. Just go and talk to someone about what you're thinking about, because it's it's just the process of going and talking through it, and you come out with a different view on what you thought you thought. If that makes any sense. Talk. Go talk. Who's who's fancy next? Hi, Chris. Um, just a quick question: Have you ever felt like you've succumbed to imposter syndrome and if so how did you get over it current currently sitting here you're kind of like well, well i'm interrupting all these people who want to have a nice drink in the corner um i th again you just force yourself through it 
Like the, definitely on the side, other side of fear is like the really good stuff. Like that's the bit you really learn on. I mean, I'm arguably you shouldn't go jumping out of planes to achieve that feeling, but that's definitely one reason to go and do that because at the end of the day, you sit there and you go, that was cool. Like we've done something here. And it's everything that scares you. Like I have a little thing that I try and do something at least once a month or once a quarter that really, really scares me because it's the fun thing that's kind of the other side of that. Hands up, guys. Who wants, who wants to go next? Oh, we... It's Evelyn. My question is, what makes you tick personally outside work? I mean, what drives you that isn't work-related? Um, <laughs> like I, 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 I like learning things. Okay. Um, so it can be like, and hence, I know we're going back on the same things, but like the jiu-jitsu thing, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so it's learning something. I'm going, doing that. And if I don't do that, then it's, I know I'll go cycling and do something like around that. Like I've got to have something that's kind of pushing me along. That's kind of really the way I tick. Although Gosha, who's sitting over here, has banned me from getting injured this month. So that's the, uh, I think I'm almost there. I know I've done it. Thanks. Achievement. Hello, Lucy. Um, did you do anything to kind of set yourself specifically aside from the competitors? Or do you just think having variety means that people are tempted to kind of look elsewhere? Um, do you mean from a business point of view, as in uncommon? No, I think she means personally. Is that what you The Americans. Oh. Ah, okay, so, yeah. Those well, that shall not be named. Those should, you, I like that. We'll just call them the Americans. That's good. Um, look, I think from a business point of view, the fact that we own everything has always been a like, differentiator. We've had kind of... I, I not many people in the market do. Um, so that gives you a certain footing that means that things like COVID, when they come along, you're kind of a lot more set up for that. I like, that was always our intention. That will always remain our intention. It will always be a kind of USP for us. We've worked very hard, I think, over the last 12 months, maybe slightly longer, on trying to really stand on what our USPs are. And it's going to come down to things like the whole ESG route as we move forward. How does that really work? Tailoring spaces for people and making sure that we create the right environments for them. Um, so. You, you kind of have that side of it, and then you get the service element, which if, if everyone's welcome to come whenever you like. And it's all about the team that they, we kind of have in this space and the way we make it kind of feel sensory-wise. So fundamentally, though, you, I, we sell the same box that you can go outside and have the same box. Like It's a place that you come and sit in, but it's so much more than that. And it's only when you get your head around that it's so much more, and then you come down and see the way that everything and all the immunities operate, that you kind of get to that bit that's why it's different from... The Americans. Uh, one more question. Thank you very much. Um, hi, my name's Mark. Um, my question is, you said that you, you stepped away from like the rat race, the, the, la the corporate ladder sort of. Did you have an idea and then move because you had it? Or did you move away and then have your idea afterwards? Um, I think it just kind of, I think I, my only idea was that I wasn't very good at that. So I had to change that. So it, it wasn't an intentional thing that the corporate world was not for me. It was just that I, at that stage in my life, probably wasn't good for the corporate world. So that was kind of my logic. But for anyone else who that idea might resonate with, whereby they feel a bit out of sorts, you know, whatever they're doing right now, it doesn't feel like them, what advice would you give them? 
go talk. Uh, go, go and generally have chats with people that are in different positions. Like there are some of the guys that are here, like they've gone and started companies in different ways. Like I've got the pleasure now of being able to go and talk to all of our members. And when I go and talk to them, a lot of them have just gone and started things. Some of them have just done it completely off the bat, sitting on a beach, and that was their decision. Some of them have spent a long time building up the business proposition, getting funding while they're still at their own job to then go and do it. So I think it's very much horses for courses. It depends on what you're trying to do and what works for you. But go and talk to people that have been there and done it. Right. Well, I'll ask you one last question and then we'll, and then we'll wrap up. For someone who has achieved so much, what happens next? Is that an easier step? Is that an easy decision now? Or is it harder? I, I think I'm definitely just going to continue doing what I'm doing here. Like, I'm very, I'm like, I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm so happy. I enjoy working with the team every single day. Like, that's great. There will inevitably come a change. I want to grow this business as big as we can. Um, but I don't know, fast forward 10 years, what will I be doing? Trying to build platforms again, because within the real estate world, it's, I think, where the future is. And I think mixing real estate, I guess, traditional bricks and mortar with the operational side will really work. And that's my little niche. And that's what I want to run into. And I think that's where people finding their niche, it works. Really good, really good. Well, guys, thank you so much, Chris, for, for giving us the time. Thank you so much for letting us in this space. Thanks to, uh, uh, to Will, Roop, the rest of the Propsky committee as well for letting me, let me do this. Was a, this was a massive sort of thing for me this, uh, this year as well. So thank you very much. And everyone who's joined me, thank you so much. Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.